0: Please to the Gospel of Luke, to Luke chapter 13. Let me just give a little bit of explanation. Um, those who regularly worship will know that we're working our way through Ephesians, um, but by and, and we'll be looking at Ephesians 6 this evening. But but I really felt drawn to, to these verses um, and study this week, and uh, so we're going to just look this morning at Luke, Luke 13. And just the first nine verses. We remind ourselves that this is the Word of God. Luke chapter 13, verse 1. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Are those or those eighteen who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them? Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree, planted his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. So read God's precious and inspired word. We're going to clear open before you this week, this past week. Has seen some truly horrendous events take place. From the evil, and I use that word carefully but deliberately, from the evil of what happened in the Manchester Arena, where 22 people lost their lives in a suicide bomb attack. Or the 29 Coptic Christians that were killed in Egypt. To the five people that were killed in a road accident on the M6 just uh, near to Stoke. Just some incidents that raise so many questions, including the age old one of why. And we looked a little at that on Thursday night from Psalm 10. And it's not my intention this morning to seek to try and explain uh, regarding the the, the evil in the world or why bad things happen, not because Scripture doesn't tell us, but because I want to, as it were, this morning, and feel so strongly about this, to take direction from the Lord Jesus when he was faced with what we could equate to as a similar scenario. We read earlier from Luke 13. I want to share with you three things. Before I do that, let's just pray. Father, as we come to what is your word, we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit, for speaker. And And Father, whatever is going through our minds just now, whatever uh, this week has brought us or whatever the coming week lies in store, we just ask that we might know what it is just to, in these moments, give ourselves to the listening of God. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through the inspired word. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Firstly, we read of suffering. Luke records for us in in the verses that we read two incidents that result in the loss of life. One speaks of uh, where Pilate, who who had some Galileans killed, it, it would seem, while at worship or at least At the temple, because we're told that that their blood, the blood of those whom he killed, was mixed with the blood that was offered for sacrifice, and the sacrifice was always done at the temple. The second incident speaks of a tower, a tower that collapsed, the Tower of Siloam. This tower was inside what, what was known as the southeast section of Jerusalem's wall. And we don't have any details about it other than it fell down. And as it fell down, it killed 18 people. And so we have these two incidents resulting in loss of life. And Jesus addresses the issue, but as we will see in our next point, perhaps not in the way that the people had imagined. It's important for us to understand that there was, particularly in Jewish thought at this time, a strongly held belief that, that, that suffering or, or personal disaster, and, and, including death, was often the result of personal sin. The book of Job, for instance, brings that out clearly, where, where Job's friends, real mates, all assume that his suffering is due in some way to his sin. And even in the New Testament, we see the disciples having that same kind of thinking, having that same kind of attitude, when in John 9, as Jesus met a blind man, they say to him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? And Jesus gives back the answer, neither. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened, and this is particularly to to that incident in John 9, this happened that the work of God may be displayed in his life. So it would seem clear that suffering is not necessarily related to personal sin. Now, without sounding Contradictory, let me just say a couple of things. Because we live in a fallen world. In a world that because of the fall, sin and suffering is a consequence. And secondly, there can be times when suffering can be a direct result of sin. But to tar all suffering to all sin is not right. And I actually would say is not scriptural. And as I said, the whole question of suffering in the light of things like terrorist attacks or or tragedies or accident or, or, or whatever else is a massive topic. However, as we look at the verses that we read earlier, we see that Jesus does not address the why question here. Indeed, he moves the whole issue, friends, to the personal level. Notice carefully. Because what Jesus does here is addressing the question of whether a worse level of sin causes a person to suffer a special judgment. Were the Galileans that Pilate murdered that day, were they any worse than all the other Galileans? Or were the 18 who died when the tower fell, were they more guilty than all the others round about them who either escaped or were injured? And it seems to me that as I've studied this passage and read it this week, it seems to me that it is a rhetorical question. With the clear answer being, of course they weren't. They weren't any worse. Indeed, Jesus answers his own question by both times giving a resounding no. So therefore... Jesus must have another point to make. And he does. And that leads us into our second point, because we see clearly Jesus speaking about the need for repenting. Notice it carefully. And as you do, remind yourselves that this is not just some preacher with a particular axe to grind or a particular point to make. This is Jesus, the Son of God, speaking. This is his response to these two incidents. And he brings it down to the individual in his hearing. And he tells them the exact same thing twice. Look down, read along with me, verse 3. This is what Jesus says about these incidents. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. And again, verse 5, look at it. If your Bible is like the one I've got at home, the words of Jesus is usually in red. Verse 5, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. See, friends, it is the logical conclusion of their argument. Because if God does punish sinners in this way, then they better repent because as the Bible tells and makes clear, we are all sinners. Every one of us. I think it was... Warren Wearsby, in one of his books, makes the point that the question here is not why did these people die, but rather what right did the others have to live? Because sin has marred us all, every one of us. And the Bible makes clear that the penalty of sin is death. And we all need to be ready for that, and that's Jesus' point here. You see, friends, deep down, the reason that these events that we read here of in Luke 9, and ones like we have witnessed this past week are so tragic, is that they expose our mortality. One writer makes the point well when he, he says, death exists in a fallen world. And nothing exposes our mortality more than when death comes suddenly and unexpectedly. Cutting, cutting short a life that had the potential to be much fuller. And it seems to me that Jesus is arguing that it's not the contemplating and the cutting short of life, sad and tragic as that is. We we we, we you you remember when, when we looked in John's Gospel of how when Jesus was filled with indignance when he when he approached the tomb of Lazarus because of death. It's not so much the cutting short of life, sad and tragic as it is, but the fact that life eventually terminates at some point and in some way. That death comes to each one of us. But then what? And the thrust of Jesus' point here, not once, but twice, is unless you repent, you too will perish. And whether in their thinking, one is a little sinner or a big sinner, and no such thing exists, but anyway, whether you're a little sinner or a big sinner, that's not the question, friends. The question is, unless you, and, and, and the word in the Greek is in the singular, Unless you repent, you too will perish. So Jesus uses these two events to drive home the importance of considering our status and our standing before a holy God. Because as the Bible teaches, After death comes, as another commentator says, a decisive encounter with God. One which deals with our sin. One in which, in Revelation 20, 11 to 15, speaks of as the second death. And friends, Repentance is the only way to prepare for that. And this call of Jesus to repent is one that needs to be told. Because unless and until we repent, then there is no hope for us. What does that mean? Well, to repent is not just some kind of emotional assent to a proposition. It is that, but it's much more. It is a reorientation to a new life. It's not just about regretting what we've done and apologizing. You know, when you were little and you get caught, you kind of grudgingly apologize. Sorry, promise not to do it again. No, it's about confessing our sins. It is to agree that a change of direction, that's what the word means. It means a complete turnaround. Instead of going that way, to go that way. It is recognizing the sin in my life. The wrong things that I have done. It involves, as Luke chapter 6 makes clear, responding to Jesus and his teaching. If you love me, Jesus says, you will obey my commandments. Jesus is calling these people, in the light of these two tragic incidents, Jesus is calling these people to examine their own hearts and their own lives. Brothers and sisters, I'm not trying to take advantage of events this past week. But neither can they be ignored. And I'm not seeking to be either emotional or dramatic. But allow me to directly ask you, This morning, where do you stand in relation to a holy God? These are matters of life and death. There is no more important a question that you will ever face. Life, as we have seen, can be taken So quickly. In many different ways. And it is right that we feel sorrow. And I hope you did. Unfortunately, when these things get beamed in 24-7, we get so used to it. It's right even to feel righteous anger at events like happened in Manchester or in Egypt this past week. is it not true, friends, that it's easier? It's easier to talk about other people's deaths than to face up to our own sin and our own death. William Hendrickson, in his commentary, asks this very searching question. Has the basic change from Satan to God from darkness to light from sin to holiness taken place in my own life not asking about anyone else or about you or in your family or anything else have i truly repented and do i really place all my confidence in god Trusting him alone. Suffering. Repenting. Then in verses 69, Jesus tells him a parable that in many ways speaks to me, and perhaps it's not the best of headings, but anyway, speaks to me of God waiting. I'm sure that many of you will be aware of that familiar definition of a parable. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Where Jesus takes an everyday situation and applies a spiritual truth to it. And here we're in the farmer's field. And a man plants a fig tree and naturally he expects to see figs on it, but he doesn't find any figs at all in the tree. And this has gone on for at least three years. So it seems that the farmer loses patience with the tree and just says, enough's enough. It's wasting my soil. Cut it down. However, and and I really wanted more time to expand this, but anyway, the gardener, whose job it is to take care of the vineyard, Asks for a bit more time. He says, I'll, I'll dig around it. She says, I'll, I'll, I'll fertilize it. I'll care for it. I'll, 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 I'll give it another chance in order that it just might bear fruit. That, that it might just be what it should be. This, this guy is so disturbed that this tree might be axed that he wanted to do something about it. Just as a little aside, brothers and sisters in Christ, that's a powerful lesson to us who know Christ. How concerned are we about those who are like this withered fig tree? A fig tree is planted in order to produce figs. So, so what's the point that Jesus wants to make you? Well, it seems to me that as we remember that, that, that very often in the Bible, Israel, the people of God, are referred to as a vineyard. Yet they had not, as it were, produced fruit as they should. They were meant to be a holy people, yet they often fell into adultery. They were meant to be a witness. Yet so often that fruit, just as the figs, wasn't there. However, as I said at the very beginning, I think actually here Jesus has taken this a little bit further And not broadening it out, but actually narrowing it in and making it very personal. You see, each one of us, as humans, are made in the image of God. We are made to worship Him. Yet sin has greatly marred us. So much so that we do not bear that fruit that we were born to. We continue to be fruitless. We go our own way, unaware or unconcerned. That just as Jesus warned here, there is a time of judgment coming. An ample time was given for the tree to produce fruit. But it didn't. And friends, time is given for us to repent. Yet so often so many don't. Is this a message for someone here this morning? I believe it is. God is gracious. God is patient. God is not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to eternal life. Yet, just like the Galileans killed, just like the 18 killed when when, when the tower fell, just like any incident as we have seen this past week, we don't know when our time could be. And if the main thrust of verses 1 and 5, of 1, 2, 5, sorry, is to repent, and I think it's hard to argue against that when Jesus says it twice in such a short time. If the main thrust of verses 1 and 5 is to repent, then, friend, the, 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 the thrust of this parable is to do it now. Don't delay not one of us here who knows when our appointment with God will come. That's why the psalmist says, today is the day of salvation. And so if you hear his voice, not the voice of a preacher, if you hear his voice, then please don't harden your heart. Turn to Christ. Turn to him now. And you can know forgiveness and joy and peace and life eternal. I find it rather interesting here that Jesus actually leaves this parable open-ended. What do I mean by that? Well, did the tree bear fruit the next year? Did the special care accomplish anything? Was it spared? Was it cut down? We don't know. And friends, let me say in many ways, it doesn't matter. Because the question It's not really about the tree. The question is, what about me? The question is, what about you? Have you come to that point in your life when you have repented of all sin and trusting in Jesus Christ, following Him, and bearing fruit for Him. That's the challenge to each one of us. And yes, we have loads of questions. In many ways, the why question can remain unanswered. But don't let it distract you from what really matters. Because eternity is at stake. And God so loved each one of us that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes and no forgiveness and life eternal through him and him alone.